Brought to you by GSK. Learn about commercial coverage for Shingrix, Zoster Vaccine Recombinant Adjuvanted, by visiting coverageshingrix.com. Hello and welcome to the May 16th, 2023 Annals of Internal Medicine podcast. I'm Dr. Christine Lane, Annals Editor-in-Chief, and I'm here to let you know about the new articles you'll find if you go to annals.org. Let's get started. The first article reports an analysis that explores the cost-effectiveness of screening tests for three common genetic disorders, Lynch syndrome, which is associated with an increased risk of colorectal cancer, hereditary breast cancer, and familial hypercholesterolemia. In 2014, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention designated the genetic test for these three conditions as being supported by evidence suggesting that screening could help to prevent morbidity and mortality. However, modeling studies to date have suggested that screening for these genetic conditions independently is not cost-effective. Researchers from the University of Washington, Geisinger, and Vanderbilt University Medical Center conducted a cost-effectiveness analysis of multiple cohorts aged 20 to 60 that reflect the current U.S. population. The authors found that if all three conditions are bundled together in a single test that costs $250 or less, with positive results confirmed with the second test, One-time screening of U.S. adults aged 40 and under would be cost-effective according to commonly accepted thresholds. For every 100,000 individuals screened with genetic testing, 101 cancers and 15 cardiovascular events were prevented compared to testing based on family history alone. To address considerations beyond cost-effectiveness, the authors recommend that a policy analysis be conducted that considers budgetary impact, availability of trained genetic counselors and other resources, longitudinal follow-up in primary care settings, and assessment by clinical guidelines, developers, and reimbursement policymakers. Importantly, the analysis assumes that a single test that screens for the three conditions simultaneously is available and costs no more than $250. More than 30 million adults in the United States have diabetes, and it's a condition that carries a high risk for cardiovascular disease. Previous trials have demonstrated benefits of using GLP-1 receptor agonists and SGLT2 inhibitors to reduce cardiovascular events in persons with diabetes and pre-existing cardiovascular disease. But the use of these medications in preventing complications among persons without pre-existing cardiovascular disease remains unclear. Researchers from Vanderbilt University and the Veterans Health Administration Tennessee Valley Healthcare System conducted a retrospective cohort study of older veterans with diabetes and without heart disease at baseline who received care between 2001 and 2019. They separately compared those on DPP-4 inhibitors to those on SGLT2 inhibitors and to those on GLP-1 receptor agonists. They found that compared with DPP-4 inhibitors, GLP-1 receptor agonists added to baseline diabetes therapy was associated with reduced cardiac events and heart failure hospitalizations. The addition of SGLT2 inhibitors was not statistically significantly associated with reduction in these outcomes, but confidence intervals were wide and follow-up was short. An accompanying editorial by Dr. Steve Nissen of the Cleveland Clinic discusses the limitations of using observational studies for clinical decision-making. He highlights that large observational studies can be useful and informative, but the choice of outcomes measured and the study method must be carefully considered, and the results interpreted within the context of the study's limitations. He cautions that these results should not be interpreted as a lack of benefit with SGLT2 inhibitors because of the short follow-up time and wide confidence intervals. 
Excessive daytime sleepiness often improves with standard treatment of obstructive sleep apnea, but may persist in up to 18% of patients despite ongoing conventional therapy. Excessive daytime sleepiness is associated with neuropsychological impairment and decreased quality of life, so treatment is a priority. Pharmacological interventions for obstructive sleep apnea include three drugs whose names I'm going to mispronounce, solvarimifetol, armadenafil, modadenafil, which are approved by the U.S., and pedoslisan, which is not yet FDA-approved for treatment of obstructive sleep apnea. Researchers from McMaster University, Dalhousie University, and the University of Toronto conducted a systematic review and meta-analysis of 14 trials enrolling 3,085 patients that study these drugs in persons with obstructive sleep apnea. The authors found that all three agents reduce daytime sleepiness for patients already on conventional therapy. However, adverse events including headache, insomnia, and anxiety were associated with an increased risk for discontinuation in several trials. According to the authors, future research should address potential long-term and rare harms that may be associated with these drugs and potential differential effects of these drugs in patients who are not adherent to conventional therapy. Mortality from alcohol-associated liver disease surged from 2009 to 2018 for unclear reasons and despite stable or declining prevalence of alcohol use during that time frame. Next is a brief research report that evaluated the relationship between metabolic syndrome and the recent observed increase in alcohol-associated liver disease deaths. Researchers from University of Southern California used data from the U.S. National Health and Nutrition Examination Survey, a continuous cross-sectional survey, to produce weighted study samples that were representative of the non-institutionalized U.S. adult population between 1999 and 2018 to examine whether metabolic syndrome could be an important contributor to the recent increase in alcohol-associated liver disease deaths. Participants were divided into six subgroups no alcohol use, no metabolic syndrome, non-heavy alcohol use, no metabolic syndrome, heavy alcohol use, no metabolic syndrome, non-heavy alcohol use with metabolic syndrome, and heavy alcohol use with metabolic syndrome. The authors estimated probabilities of advanced liver disease for each subgroup adjusted for age, sex, active smoking at four-year intervals through the study period. The results showed increases in advanced liver disease with heavy alcohol use with or without metabolic syndrome, with the greatest increase in advanced liver disease among those with both heavy alcohol use and metabolic syndrome. According to the authors, these findings suggest an increasing interaction with metabolic syndrome and heavy alcohol use that may be contributing to the recent surge in alcohol-associated liver disease mortality. Next is the final and major update to a rapid living review of published evidence on the effectiveness of masks in reducing the risk of COVID-19. In June 2020, Annals published an initial living review of research on mask use, which found insufficient evidence to determine effects of masks on COVID-19 infection. The initial review was followed by eight brief updates that found low to moderate strength evidence for an association between mask use and decreased risk for SARS-CoV-2 infection in community settings, but evidence on N95 versus surgical masks in healthcare settings and risk for COVID-19 infection remained insufficient. In this final update, investigators from Oregon Health and Science University reviewed three randomized trials and observational studies to update the evidence synthesis on N95 surgical and cloth mask effectiveness in community and healthcare settings for preventing SARS-CoV-2 infection. 
The authors found that mask use may be associated with a small reduced risk for COVID-19 infection versus no mask use in community settings. However, they note that the intervention settings and populations included in the studies varied. The authors note that trial and observational studies of surgical or N95 mask use compared with no mask use were imprecise or limited, with evidence on other mask comparisons in healthcare settings remaining insufficient. An accompanying editorial that I wrote with Annals Deputy Editor Dr. Stephanie Chang aims to provide important context for understanding why recent evidence reviews do not provide a definitive answer about the benefits of masking. Studies vary widely in what they are assigned to determine, such as the effectiveness of masks at preventing viral penetration or the effectiveness of masking recommendations. Because these studies are conducted in the real world where infection risk reduction strategies also vary, it may be difficult to determine the effectiveness of a single component of those strategies. And finally, we must be explicit in weighing benefits and harms. While some may consider any evidence of benefit sufficient to justify masking, Others believe that inconvenience, discomfort, or communication impedance outweigh small benefits. To get to the truth about masking, it is imperative to design studies that fill information gaps, interpret the evidence accurately, and be honest about what we do and do not know. In the next article, authors from Tufts Medical Center, the Veteran Affairs Boston Healthcare System, Harvard Medical School, and the Massachusetts Department of Public Health advocate for inclusion of both the total number of COVID-19 hospitalizations and the number of inpatients who received dexamethasone at any point during their hospital stay for real-time surveillance of burden of COVID-19 in healthcare settings. Despite the end of the COVID-19 pandemic as a public health emergency, surveillance is important because there remains risk of resurgence. On January 10, 2022, the Massachusetts Department of Public Health began requiring hospitals to expand surveillance to include reports of both the total number of COVID-19 hospitalizations daily and the number of inpatients who received dexamethasone at any point during their hospital stay. This requirement was added because dexamethasone administration had been shown to be highly correlated with disease severity and was sensitive to the changing epidemiology of new immune-evasive COVID-19 variants. The authors highlight that the purpose of the ongoing requirement by the Massachusetts Department of Public Health to report dexamethasone is not to minimize pandemic impacts, but to instead understand the ongoing burden of the pandemic in the setting of a changing landscape of population immunity and viral variants. The authors point to COVID-19 data collected from all 68 acute care hospitals in Massachusetts between January 2022 and January 2023 which show that the proportion of persons hospitalized for COVID-19 who received dexamethasone decreased from 49.6 to 33%. According to the authors, these data have been used to communicate risk and weigh community-level recommendations by health authorities. The authors also emphasize that their experience highlights the importance of ongoing review and reevaluation to maintain the utility and predictive value of public health surveillance. The topic of this month in the clinic review is abnormal kidney test. Blood and urine tests are commonly performed by clinicians in both ambulatory and hospital settings to detect chronic and acute kidney disease. Thresholds for these tests have been established that signal the presence and severity of kidney injury or dysfunction. In the appropriate clinical context of a patient's history and physical exam, an abnormal test should trigger specific actions for clinicians, including reviewing patient medication use, follow-up testing, prescribing lifestyle modifications, and sometimes specialist referral. Tests for kidney disease can also be used to estimate future risk of kidney failure and cardiovascular death. 
also new is a History of Medicine article that discusses the historical experience of the Holocaust and Nazi medicine as a moral compass for physicians regarding the potential for abuse of power and ethical dilemmas inherent in medicine. If you go to annals.org, you'll also find the latest episodes of Annals Consult Guys and the Annals on Call podcast, and on being a doctor essay and several poems. Thanks for listening. Go to annals.org for a closer look at the new material I've highlighted, and please return in two weeks for the next podcast. Thanks to Beth Jenkinson, Andrew Langman, and Bernie Turner for their technical support. Brought to you by GSK. Learn about commercial coverage for Shingrix, Zoster vaccine recombinant adjuvanted, by visiting coverageshingrix.com.